Heads up, we'll be doing at least two episodes on M20 Sorcerer. This is the first one with the developer Travis Legg, where we do an overview of the state of Sorcerer and the M20 line. We'll be doing at least one more episode or alternatively a set of minisodes going over the factions and systems, depending on what I can record with whom when. If M20 Sorcerer sounds interesting to you, a link to the DriveThruRPG page is in the show notes, and your purchases help support the podcast like the XLR mixer I use which just came to what has to be an Entropy 3 Correspondence 3 effect, and your support helped me replace it without needing to explain to my spouse what an XLR mixer was and why they cost so much. And with that, on with the show. Hi, Mage fans. This is your host, Terry Robinson with Mage the Podcast, and joining me today is developer of the latest addition to the M20 line and an update to one of my favorite groups in Mage the Ascension, Travis Lake with M20 Sorcerer. Travis, how you doing? I am doing wonderfully. Thank you so much for asking, and thank you so much for having me on. It's good to be here talking about what might be my favorite thing I've ever worked on. So, Oh, nice. Well, I mean, you make Mage. We do a podcast about Mage. We're like, we're a natural couple. We, we There should be a sitcom about us at some point. So what is, at a very high level, M20 Sorcerer? Where does it maybe fit into the line? By what luck are we getting it? So Sorcerer is... The book that basically covers all the rules for everything that counts as hedge magic. So you're talking your traditional path magic as was introduced way back in World of Darkness Sorcerer. And we, we did a lot of work to try to fold it in so that it, more like the rest of the M20 line, could more easily address all the different paradigms. So basically any kind of, of uh, linear mage or mages who are working within the confines of reality, that's part of Sorcerer, and the other part is uh, Psychic Phenomena, and all of its various permutations are covered in there as well. So any sort of psychic ability that isn't drawn from Sphere Magic effectively. So we are getting the linear paths, the the effects, we are getting the rituals, which are kind of the more time-intensive ones, the Psychic Phenomena, and this all along with true faith traditionally was like the three legs of the stool labeled noumena. Do we get an update to true faith? I do not touch true faith in the supplement, no. And that was deliberate. I felt that true faith was the kind of thing that my, my, my reasoning on it's twofold. One, true faith always seemed like a very, very, very silly merit to me in a game about belief. You have true faith. It's in your ability to do magic and two <laughs> it's covered extremely well in the 20th anniversary edition line already and i wanted to prioritize things for sorcerer that maybe hadn't but if you are interested in more information about that hunters hunted 2 page 83 in previous editions of mage the line between sorcerer and mage was obvious and then in revised it got blurried how does m20 view the difference between linear and true mages is it something that most will workers and most true mages are available and are sorcerers generally aware of the existence of the awakened the blurring in revised i still don't quite understand and I don't mean that like I don't understand the motivation. Like I, I literally don't understand what they're trying to say with that section of that book. Um, <laughs> it, it confounds me every time I read it. At the end of the day, there is definitely a, a hard delineation between the two. Having said that, it's the type of thing that is unlikely. Anybody's unlikely to get too far into a discussion on unless you're talking about like a couple of masters of their particular craft sitting around in the study waxing philosophical about the nature of magic. This isn't the kind of thing that's going to be, in most cases, I guess, 
or in most cases where we're talking about non-technomagic. This isn't the kind of thing that's going to be a hair that's going to be split necessarily between the people involved in the setting. Like if you're running across somebody else that, that uses magic, whether they're using path magic or true magic, probably not going to matter a whole lot to you until you either build in a close personal relationship, at which point you will, the differences will become stark and clear. To my mind, it's silly to pretend that there's any universe in which they wouldn't be immediately obvious <laughs> to, the, to the true mage anyway. And it seems like one of those things where the the difference is going to be obvious, but what the difference is may not be, if that makes sense. Where it's like, well, this mage is obviously capable of a type of magic. They don't seem to have the same flexibility with me, but boy, howdy, are they able to enchant or control weather or summon fire pretty capably. Um, yeah, and absolutely. I, Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, and it, the enchantment path is almost better than using Prime 4 in a lot of cases. So there are these weird areas where, where they would be viewed as more potent. And it's also one of those things where just kind of from a political thing, it's like, well, they're doing magic. In some way, they're running into similar problems as us. At minimum, we don't want the technocracy to get them unless we're the technocracy. Good to hear that, that the obviousness kind of comes back, even if it's not something that people would talk about in-game, as you mentioned. Maybe only uh, people with a lot of experience would be like, well, here's the straight dope on this. I explained this in an actual play, kind of the difference between, because the, the differences between how these things are achieved is so fundamentally different. I would think that while they might still say, yes, they're doing magic, they would definitely say they're certainly doing something different than what we're doing. You know what I mean? Like a true mage looking at a linear mage doing their working. I would assume they would just be able to spot that. And then, of course, getting into the technocracy side of it, they actually have like a, a rank and file system for it. So, In past editions, there has been differing views of each tradition or faction of how they view sorcerers, whether they're just kind of this other thing that is out there or whether they try and enclose them into the fold. For instance, you have the Order of Hermes, which as part of training teaches linear magic in some way, shape, or form. You do have a few groups that purport not to care about the difference. And then other groups that kind of eschew sorcerers and are like, we don't we don't know what to do with these people. Does M20 Sorcerer kind of posit whether or not traditions have sorcerers within their ranks or cultivate assistance from mortals using Numina? I made a pretty good effort, and I'm sure if I missed one, somebody will sharpshoot me. But I made a pretty good effort to get literally everywhere within the mage like publishing history where sorcerers were touched on. So be able to like make at least some sort of reference in the text to, okay, this group was mentioned here. This is what happens to them. You might have to go through a little bit of like World of Darkness lore um, <laughs> to, to see the connection uh, in a couple of them, I think, maybe. But I really tried to make sure that it was comprehensive. And there's definitely a section on both being part of or just working with the traditions, technocracy, and the disparate alliance. Yeah, and interestingly, it introduces a discussion of what the disparates think of sorcerers, which is, to my understanding, new. We finally get the idea of what Batini hedge mages learn. And it's it makes sense that they learn conjuration, conveyance, divination, and fascination, for instance. What was it like kind of adding that to the canon? Like, what do disparates think about it? I mean, it was, that part was neat. And I was excited for the opportunity to re both expand kind of what was up in there and revisit some of these groups. One of the things, I've talked about this before, I'm a big fan of hiring well and trusting the people that you give 
the assignment to. So a lot of the sections that were handled about these past groups, I really just told the authors, like, I want you to go in, dig through this stuff, and you give me your best version of this subject to modern sensibility, subject to areas that you think. And I kind of let the authors discuss, like, what do I want to take? You know, I, I gave people like kind of first read refusal to swap around the various fellowships and stuff. So for me, it was a lot more exciting, I think, to revisit some of the things that had been introduced in other books, but for whatever reason, I couldn't touch on. Like uh, SEAI gets a pretty big, well, not pretty big, but I mean, a, size, a, a sizable write-up in this. That was the group within the technocracy that is like, hey, we're not enlightened. Give us stuff. Or right, recognize our right to exist. Right. They're basically the coffee clutch that's trying to steal an avatar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in so many words. Um, Which is something that I think the technocracy would have. Probably a few of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where you're like, no, no, no. I get it. <laughs> Speaking of that, so you, you've you done the what I will refer to as the leg method of, you're the expert, you tell me, to, to your writers. In addition to that, we never got commentary on psychics within any groups. They were kind of the remainder. Maybe they were in the technocracy. They were generally the separate groups that kind of had information. What does everyone except for the technocracy make of psychics? Psychics are kind of treated largely, and this is why they meld so well in with the technocracy, I think. It's because we've taken the approach, and I think the world of darkness has kind of always taken the approach, of psychics living a little bit more on the sci-fi side than on the horror side. And by extension, the fantasy side. So really, we've taken a lot of that into the approach. And I think that that is where maybe, like if I went back and I had, and somebody was like, here's 20,000 more words, I might get a little bit deeper into some of that stuff. But I do see them as being very separate. Like, I don't think, I could definitely see a technocrat looking at a psychic and going, we're connected in some way. You are an extraordinary citizen. You're doing what I'm doing. I don't see a mind mage doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're doing something and it's cool, but it ain't what I'm doing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the book has commentary to that effect where the traditions are like, we don't know what to make of them. And they are prized as consorts. But that does bring up an interesting thing of what do mages think about psychics? And as you mentioned, the technocracy is like, yeah, we're extraordinary citizens. Someone thinks that we are the next stage in human evolution. It would make sense that we have psychic powers. Whereas a mage is like, no, we just do magic. That's not magic. As opposed to looking at a linear mage. And it's very clear that a ritual in the path of hellfire or something like that is a ritual. It looks magic-y, but when you rub your temples right. and a door explodes, that really feels like like it's something different. And and the book addresses that at least at least lightly. It, uh, going through this, it was th thorough and considered. That is very nice to see in a book, especially for a topic that maybe isn't front and center all the time. Do you posit any ties between the various sorcerer societies and the traditions, or do you just stick with we have sorcerers that are that are consorts and acolytes? There are a couple of places in the affiliation write-ups where it talks about kind of how that particular group interacts with outsiders, and sometimes it will sort of maybe name drop a tradition or the traditions or the technocracy. But they often do get folded into kind of a general outsider perspective. And one of the things that I think is very interesting about the groups in Sorcerer is you get a chance to look at the world of darkness with the power of magic unburdened by the baggage of the ascension war in m20 the disparates there is nowhere to hide the the crafts are no longer those that eschew the ascension war the ascension war will come and find them but as you mentioned sorcerers maybe 
So that leads to a lot of the Sorcerer Fellowships having, I keep calling fellowships and I mean uh, affiliation of belief, because their scope is so personal, you know, because they're free to the burden of the Ascension where they get to have a personal scope, because their scope is so personal, oftentimes it just doesn't bump into these other things. To my mind, those blank spaces are more compelling than if I were to give you 200-year timeline of all the time that the Order of the Golden Dawn and the Hermetics clashed or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I, and that's and kind of the same thing as with the psych- psychics to a degree is that filling out that negative space, leaving that negative space in your campaign to say, oh, okay, so these people don't like outsiders because X, Y, and Z, right? And this tradition does A, B, and C. So now we have cool conflict. It's also nice because we, speaking of filling the field, there were a lot of groups that were previously only mentioned as maybe we got a cover line or, or, or as part of a list where we get full sections here. And one of the things you do is you present their current concerns. They are not static groups. So the Nephite priesthood had this awesome plot line in Revised where all but one of them is killed, turns out to be awakened and joins the Celestial Chorus. And you're like, so what is the next enemy that they have? You mentioned that the U.S. intelligence agencies have files on the organization that we never get information on the, the feds having a dossier on the Akashiana, but they have this idea that there is this organization that did something weird in the desert. You talk about the current questions that the Seven Thunders are dealing with and, and how their path has changed. And you nicely point out that the Nebu FF are antagonists. Um, so <laughs> I wouldn't say we pointed out nicely. I mean, we probably do at one point as well. Um, but <laughs> yeah, uh, it, pardon me. It is nice that you point out that they are antagonists, I guess, as opposed to being nice about pointing it out. Yeah, there we go. Um, the other thing that always fascinated me about sorcerers is they could have fun that was low stakes. Like yeah. as everything was happening in revised, all but one Nephite priesthood priest was destroyed, stopping something. If you posited that every member of the Euthanatoy save one had died stopping Vormas, people would be like, what the dink? But you can, you can right. do that with the Sorcerer Society without too much difficulty. Although I really hope when that came out, there were a whole bunch of Nephite fans who were like, damn, they killed us all. You can have a bit more fun with that, and you do. Um, we The, the, the Thelhun and the Star Council are both in here. With M20 being metaplot agnostic but the world kind of still evolving how do you see the world in which sorcerers work having changed the thing that i took it as an opportunity as um okay. and nobody told me no so yeah <laughs> um <laughs> was to just say the big sort of future fates decision points don't affect most sorcerers they're not a big deal now if you start bringing in like some of the other material you might say okay well Ascension probably talked about what happened in the Arcanum, for example, yada, yada, yada. But for the most part, they exist beneath the shell of that. So I just said, what's this group from this book? You know, I looked at Halsey Arcanum and said, okay, what are they now? I'll work the connection between those two dates once I figure out where they're at now. Then, I, then I'll work backwards narratively and figure out kind of how they got there. So, And there wasn't a whole lot where we had to do much shifting. A lot of the changes or, or questions we had to answer were relatively minor. And I think we were able to do a very compelling job of of giving the group because it's not just you know storyteller information. The players can you know can join any of these groups. So giving the troop enough information to have a compelling story with that element, without like dictating what your campaign is going to be about, and without eating a bunch of pages. Just each write up is about a page, 
and just rife with plot hooks and things that you can then do, you know, ways that you can build your campaign off. Probably my favorite write-ups in, in terms of those updates were the Project Twilight, and which gets a little bit more into psychics as well, and the uh, Arcanum, just because I'm, I'm a huge Arcanum head. You mentioned Project Twilight and the Arcanum. Uh, what are those groups and what are they up to? Uh, start with whichever one you like. So the Arcanum is kind of this secret society, if you think something, kind of uh, in very, very shorthand, you know, Masons, right? A very sort of like arcane institution, generally well-to-do, has a history that dates back to the Victorian era. And their principal reason for existing is just the acquisition of knowledge. They build up these chapter houses scattered throughout the world where they sort of gather together and it's like part library, part reliquary. And and they just sort of base themselves out of these chapter houses and go out and investigate, not to go hunt down and kill the supernatural or not, not to even necessarily be in an antagonistic relationship with it, though their pursuit often leads to one, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but they're not. When you want to steal someone else's knowledge, they generally don't want you to take it. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. But that's the that's the crux of their difficulty. Their big, I guess, antagonist is the secret nature of the world of darkness. Mm-hmm. And the fact that if they're observing a vampire, doesn't matter if that vampire, the very fact that they are looking in on that vampire now imperils their life by vampire law, right? So now they've gotten themselves into that kind of a sticky situation just by you know virtue of what they're of what they're doing it kind of breaks down sort of the various steps of being a member of the arcanum how you advance in the uh, organization and just kind of what they do and what their areas of focus are where their chapter houses can be found it's it's again it's all just sort of like these are all just rapid fire factoids that you can drop right in ways you can sort of build up okay my character wants to study x y and z it's all just laid out, I think, I think in a way that is very compelling. I think if, you, if you're remotely interested in sort of a bookish or bookish meets adventurer, like I think what was the, called The Librarians, right? Was that? That was the Noah Weil, Lindy Booth show. Yes, The Librarians. Link will be in the show notes. <laughs> so like if that's your jam, right? Like the Arcanum is for you. And, and that is also interesting because that is a thing where I feel like time has changed our interpretation of them, where you're like, oh, there's a thing where like we are seekers of knowledge and information and we uh, seek to understand the world. And then at the same time, you're like, you're kind of playboy dilettantes. Ben, you need to have gone to one of these six schools. I, I need to know. And there's also this kind of frat mentality to it because when they get into trouble, it's probably because it's their fault. It's not one of those things where like in Lovecraftian horror, just doing enough math can cause Cthulhu to kill you. Just digging at a site can cause you to discover ruins of like Narithotep or something that comes and destroys your family. If you're like, what do you do? Yeah, we uh, we find weird things in the night, and then we uh, try and take pictures of them, and then we poke them a lot. A uh, real high turnover. Not sure why. So, <laughs> so I think right. that's one of those groups with like modern sensibilities that like we didn't. Uh, they've just kind of changed just because we, we we look at them slightly differently, and I think that's fascinating. And that's an, an interesting thing too, because uh, another another space. Again, I I can I can nerd out about the arcane. This could turn into an entire path or podcast about the arcanum but that's a fun trope to play with the idea of somebody who's now because we as a culture are looking at some of these shifts taking the idea of the arcanum as sort of this sort of almost greek organization or secret society 
the old boys network and cracking that and saying, all right, you know, we're going to play a bunch of newcomers that are shaking up, you know, things, yada, 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 and fighting against that old boys network. It's, it's one way to have a proxy for some of the maybe inequalities that, that old white men are responsible for, which is pretty much all of them. So they, they can also be a good, those higher ups and those existing structures can be a good foil. And then we were going to talk about Project Twilight real quick, right? Yeah. And yeah. just one last thing on the Arcanum and talking about framing. Oh, it, yeah. the, the the reference doesn't include anything about the Red Priest and the White Priest or about like a mysterious, possibly immortal founder. And it's super interesting to me how just removing those two little facts kind of changes how the whole group feels to that Greek society, where if they were founded by a mummy and there's this secret age old thing, you're like, oh, well, this is spooky. But you're like, no, 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 we're not we're not going to change anything we're just going to exclude these two little bits and how just the entire group changes around it I, I i find that fascinating like what kind of creates that core thing and how as a storyteller by just suppressing or adding a single piece of information we can get a completely different group with a different narrative function and you and i could run an arcanum game and they can still be wildly different and if you want to uh have the title of largest arcanum fanboy you will have to fight co-host josh heath so um if we want to do that as a charity function at some point Mage the Podcast stands behind you in doing that. We'll come up with a way to do real-life Curtamane. It might involve foam swords, but if we ever want to do that, maybe at midwinter sometime, I'm here for it. But the other group, as you mentioned, uh, is Project Twilight. What is Project Twilight? So Project Twilight is the U.S. government's, I guess, X-Files agency, if you will, or more to the point there. I mean, it's not, yeah, it's not, it's, it's, it's kind of an implied organization. It is just a a term used to describe all government agents that work on weird stuff. It's not like there's a twilight division from my reading of it, but there's some people in the CIA, the NSA, the DEA or something that all deal with weird stuff. Right. So if you're FBI, you might be part of special affairs department or, you know, you know, if you're a Lynch fan, maybe you get a blue rose And then you start getting weird cases. Uh, You know, if you're part of the CIA, you wind up on, you know, finding something unusual on one assignment. And now you're suddenly getting more kind of assignments. And it's all sort of, you know, off the books. So you get kind of that secret government agent, like super spy sort of vibe to it. But but there's also, you know, you can play it up like the aspect, like the Men in Black, specifically like the film series, where you're kind of these, you know, uh, secret within a secret agents and play it up as a, as a more lighthearted thing, or you can play it way more gritty and more Twin Peaks. Personally, I think Project Twilight works best when you're doing like a Twin Peaks sort of a reality is slightly askew. They do have a lot of psychics in terms of people operating with Numina. They're much more of a psychic organization than a magical organization, mm-hmm. though there are a few mages within them as well, or uh, hedge mages within them as well. And you made a nice little bit about how they and their various projects sort of poke at the big bears in the room, the Camarillo, the technocracy. They all sort of get a little bit of a mention as to how they sort of interact with Project Twilight. So it's a fun, it's a fun little, if you're into that kind of a storytelling where you can do something that's mystery focused or, you know, you can go Freak of the Week X-Files with it, or you could do like a long-term conspiracy. One of your higher ups is in the pocket of a senator who's in the pocket of executive of Pentex. Now you have a whole five-year campaign. Take down that executive <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it's one of those things that m20 
is not kind, I'll say, to most governments or most agents of authority, which, I mean, in a gothic punk setting, I, I get it. <laughs> Project Twilight really lets you play both sides of that to say there is corruption. Not only is there the mundane kind, but the Camarilla is interested in mobilizing it against uh, their enemies. So it is an interesting case, and you spell it out within the text, that even Project Twilight agents don't necessarily trust each other. So there isn't really space for it as presented project twilight isn't necessarily the good guys sure maybe they take down a sabbat pack every once in a while or maybe they they pipe down on severe supernatural thing but they can be just as compromised as anyone else in the world of darkness oh, yeah this is not the cia of bob schnoblin the greatest <laughs> single npc in the history of the world of darkness his pyramid of satanic power will also be in the show notes and i like that because i think that is a good update to it because in the early 90s we had this view of government as being vastly more capable than it turned out to be and then in the 2000s that pivoted with kind of the war on terror and maybe budget cuts for other departments and now it kind of has that interpretation of there are a lot of different players asking it to do a lot of different things and it's very hard to be able to balance those things it is presented that you're a supervisor and you may have different agendas so you have to deal with an environment that is just as political as a hermetic at Dewizitap, and you don't have the sphere of mind to tell if someone is lying i think that is a appropriate update to a group like project twilight you know you might have a mind reader with you but yeah. your supervisor might be a mind reader, too. Y yes. <laughs> yeah. it, it offers a lot of cool espionage. Stuff. Aside from just delving into the super weird, that's one of the things, one of the other things that always sort of was a lure to me about Sorcerer and to that end, Ghouls, and to that end, Kinfolk. The idea of the person who's just a little bit more than the average person on the street, and then they're thrust into a strange and bizarre world that they don't have, they don't have any hope in hell of comprehending. I think Project Twilight's really good for that as a, as a springboard for that because you could start your game out like, "Hey, we just got out of the academy. We're all FBI agents. We, you know, we're getting coffee for the senior agents. Oh my God, that's a werewolf." Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this allows you to give an antagonist that can kind of stand on their own maybe way more than your characters initially anticipated you mess with the wrong person and they have maybe seven dots of backup which is not something that we're used to thinking about in our games and they just have just enough psychic powers that your mind to affect to tell them to go away ain't gonna work and i think that moment especially if it is the case that psychic noumena do not aren't detectable with prime that um a group used to mage antagonists or powerful uh traditional mortal antagonists are going to it may take them a surprising amount of time to figure out what's going on and by then uh their plot or whatever may have already been foiled are there any other societies that are uh, new or notable to you one of the things that i also just wanted to point out is there's a couple of organizations throughout the history of mage that have bounced back and forth between being a sorceress order and like a craft or a faction of a tradition or something along those lines. That is one place in the text where we absolutely have taken pretty severe pains to make sure we're covering that. We're talking about those relationships mm -hmm. and like in some cases, how the relationship might very well be different between people who stayed with the sorceress order and people who joined up with a tradition, for example. Oh, interesting. Yeah, in the yeah. same way that uh, not every Wu Lung member joined House Hong Lei within the Hermetics. And as we find out in Lore of the Traditions, they have thoughts 
um, <laughs> on, on each other. Whoever wrote up on the, the uh, Celestial Chorus wound up kicking out most of the Templars. Who would have done that? Right. Anyway. Uh, here, uh, uh, an old favorite, I guess you might say, that I think gets overlooked a lot is the Mason Liban. But they're, they're a former Hermetic house. And so they're kind of on the run, you might say. Yeah, that was the group that was that got the attention of Tremere during the Schism War, I think, and has successfully hit itself for a while. <laughs> yeah, they basically stole a bunch of Tremere magic and dipped, and still adhere to like a Tremere like they they adhere to the to a Hermetic structure, but more more like how Tremere did. Laban being a Visigoth term, so I am pleased that uh, we had more Visigoth representation in M twenty. So that's good. <laughs> if you want to play somebody who's got a backstory. Or who's got like you're a weird thing, but you've got a like a really unique sort of connection to the out- outer world of darkness. That's your character, I think. You know what I'm saying? Because like you stride a couple different worlds with your the the soup that makes them up. So they're pretty neat. We've talked about some of the societies, but the the fun part about sorcerers is when you get to th- throw dice because you're controlling the weather or something like that. What were your design goals for this book for i guess the setting and the system since you were the dev for it so what i wanted and i i came to this conclusion in 1997 when i was looking at first edition sorcerer i felt like the system did not live up to the promise that was written by this setting in terms of the way hedge magic was meant to work in terms of it being tied to your belief and so when i had the opportunity to do m20 sorcerer I really wanted to fold in the ideas behind Paradigm into linear magic in a way that made sense and present the system in a way that not only was consistent with the way M20 works and would be something that you could just plug into your M20 game and go, but would be a retroactive, backwards compatible way of explaining basically every piece of noumena in the history of the world of darkness and still making the system make sense. So, and the way that we sort of thread that needle is that you have a affinity that you gain from your affiliation, or you can just choose it. And that will cover the attribute you use when you're casting. And then each of your paths, you access through instruments, which you find through your paradigm down into your tools. So when you get to the skills that connect to that paradigm, that you pick from that list and you assign each of those to your paths. So the retroactive explanation that makes sense for that is when you come across another book and it says this path uses manipulation plus occult, that just happens to be that particular teaching of that path. So you can sort of then veer and it opens it up. So if you if there's something that we missed, I don't know that there is a whole lot that we've missed that isn't like readdressed in this book is in terms of hedge magic paths. But if you've got an old book laying around that's got a path of underwater basket weaving in it and we missed it, you can retroactively, you can like retcon it into this. It's backwards compatible with it to make it work with the system. The other thing that the system kind of does is, as you said, makes it play nicely with Mage. In previous editions, uh, we had mana that was introduced but here it just flat out uses quintessence and previously we had the idea that unbelief could destroy effects which kind of made a lot of the sorcerer's paths useful and in here it is just kind of a threshold a number of successes you have to overcome the magic rules in here kind of harmonize well with that what to you is the intent of updating those like uh in just saying they use quintessence they can hang spells 
this is how they deal with witnesses. Uh, what were your thoughts behind, I guess, simplifying that? That's the nail on the head. Simplification. Mage 20 is arcane as hell. It's a lot to take on. You know that. You've read the whole thing you know, cover to cover. I didn't want to make a supplement that is partially intended to be a gateway into Mage 20. Mm-hmm. more complicated than the source material <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know i wanted to have it harmonized i wanted it to act kind of from a system perspective as a stepping stone to play in the mage mm-hmm. and i think the way that it's set up now it primes you nicely if you'll forgive the pun for dealing with true magic while still being very separate i think that where it makes those separations are also nice stark contrasts the idea of the amount of time it takes to get an effect off for a sorcerer it was a big deal for, for me as I was working on this because we talked in all of the previous books about how hedge magic is part of the universe and you're, you're working through these inherent truths. And to my mind, there is no inherent truth that's going to let me throw a, a ball of flame down the street by wiggling my fingers. I'm going to have to do a little bit more than that. There's going to be mm-hmm. so there's going to it's going to be movement. There's going to be time. Uh, the way I explained it during session zero was a mage is using reality to move around reality. It's kind of like taking a pad, like a, a butter pad, like you get at a restaurant and scraping the butter off of that and then trying to move around a stick of butter with the butter pad. Yeah, you can get the butter where you need it to go eventually, but it's not the best tool for that job. Whereas a mage just grabs a butter knife and goes, yoink, I'm, I'm just going <laughs> to cut a new chunk of butter. That's what I want. You're using something outside to push it around. The sorcerer is using it itself to push it around. It's using the medium as also the material and the tool at the same time. And that's clumsy. And so it takes a while. I know that might've been a long, deep metaphor that didn't make sense to anybody but me, but it made a lot of sense to me. (laughs) Again, we're talking about a game where long, deep metaphors that don't make sense to a huge number of people until days later, they're like, oh, is kind of the name of the game. So I'm here for it. The other thing it kind of does is uh, it introduces or reintroduces and simplifies aspects and i just need to say this is beautiful if you're looking for a replacement for reach you could just kind of take the aspect system here and it says more or less things like well if you're going to build up a spell and you want it to have a certain area it should be about this big or you need to be this good at area for it to be this big or for distance this is kind of how it scales up the system having not played it though looks like it got the most of the richness of revised with kind of the simplicity that came before it with an eye towards how do we integrate this directly into mage which as someone who frequently plays it with new players i I kind of appreciate. You had made mention to uh, uh, to playing with it. Is there was there an actual play or anything like that that was tied to this? That if people are curious to see how it actually runs, they can uh, go watch. Yeah, Sorcerer Lodi. At the time that we recorded this, mm-hmm. I had just aired session zero, and it's a two parter. We're doing kind of a, I guess, an it ish concept where they start out playing starting characters who are teenagers in the year two thousand two. That's night one. And then night two, we're coming back 20 years later. I'm giving them five XP per year. Uh, so they'll each have 100 XP to put into their characters. And they're going, we're looking at who these people are now 20 years later in the aftermath of what happened during night one as they return to finish what they started. So in that sense, it's like it. So that's going to be a lot of fun. But the other thing that I didn't tell them, and I wish we would have probably done a little bit more magic with at the beginning, but we we're using the complicated aspects in the first session for the casting. In the second ca- second session, I'm going to use simplified aspects because that's another thing you can do with that system to reflect experience for your casters that I think is just a neat little trick to put in your little 
in your storyteller bag is to say, as your first learning, I'm going to do the more complicated aspects. And as, as you, when you reach a certain threshold, now you'll get so you'll get powerful enough that your spells use simplified aspects. Each of the paths also have kind of little modifications to them where it says, hey, these are the bespoke aspects that you have for this path, or these are modifiers that you need to include. And it's just, it is good to see that the system received as much attention as it did, because in some cases it feels like that's an afterthought. Here, that was not the case. We talked about those paths. We, we've had so many across so many books. Uh, looking through, uh, conveyance doesn't suck anymore. Thank you. Uh, some of them that kind of leap out to my eye is we have the Path of Shadows, Necronics, and Starlight. What are you, what are some of these new paths? Is there one that uh, that you're particularly pleased with or that you like? So we took a couple paths that uh, had shown up like in, I think, Hunters Hunted 2 and I think Ghost Hunters. <laughs> and then we grabbed stuff that had been in like Halsey Arcanum had a path in it. Like I said, I went through kind of all of the old black books and grabbed all the sorcery that I could find. And then up to right up to ghost hunters and wherever we needed to. And that's why I said, you probably won't run into too many that we didn't cover in one way or another mm-hmm. where we needed to expand or redefine that path in a broader sense, because as it was initially like, cause you'd have a cool concept, but it was initially introduced through a very, very, very narrow lens. <laughs> Yeah, like um, Cyberpathy, I think, was introduced in like one of the Laws of the Night books or something like that. And you're like, yeah, everyone's got this one. It's also designed, you have powers that were also designed very much for a, you know, hexagonal shaped peg to go in a hexagonal shaped hole. And I tried to sort of sand the edges off a little bit on some of those paths and make them a little bit more uh, universally applicable, I guess. Broaden their application. And in addition to that, we have a fair number of rituals for each, and it is pleasing just to see how many, uh, kind of how many examples are provided. It is one of those things where if you go to the alchemy or enchantment section, you get a bunch and the aspects that are introduced are reasonably custom. Like for instance, Necronics, which is a an attempt to combine electronics and the dead. You have impedance suddenly as an aspect where at low levels, you are able to kind of annoy ghosts in an area where at high levels, you're able to uh, devastate a region of shadow land. All of them more or less get rituals, maybe not necessarily at every level, but they're there. And, and that is certainly appreciated. So if you're, again, if you're just looking for an antagonist or something that one of your consorts can do, it's just, just grab a few and, and run with it. The other thing that seems to have changed were psychic powers. And previously those were just kind of lists. How are psychic powers updated, if at all? Well, for one thing, we unified the system for them mm-hmm. so that it, it's the same thing, no matter what your psychic power is, you're using the same core engine which was not the case before. That was the heavy lifting, honestly, system-wise, was getting it everything refined down. And that was a matter of saying, like, this is going to be our baseline and we're going to pull everything to it. So there were some things where, you know, maybe somebody might look at one power and go, oh, they nerfed that. Or like, oh, wow, ectoplasmic generation is way more badass than I remember it being. That was all part of the process of tuning it to that core. Spend a will, roll will at, at your path plus, or your phenomenon Plus three, you know, we want to make sure that it would function on that. Uh, it was very important to me that everybody had a nice one to 10 die pool to roll for their stuff. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
this section also includes probably one of my favorite text boxes entitled Vampires versus Vampires, which gives you a small system on what happens when a kindred and a psychic vampire go toe-to-toe. And that's that's the kind of sidebar we, we like in Mage, I'd like to think. It is pleasing to see that. I just wanted to touch on something real quick about rituals, too. We define them, I think, probably, you know, not to toot our own horn too much, but that's why we're here. I think we define them much better than any previous book involving hedge magic for the world of darkness may have defined them. When in doubt, there are three things a ritual can do, and it's very clearly delineated on page 14 of Sorcerer. (laughs) tells you very simply, if you're trying to put together a ritual, you can always fall back on it doing X, Y, or Z. It will always uh, allow you to create the effect at the aspect of the level of the ritual with some Mm -hmm. extra successes. You can always do an effect that's one level higher as a ritual. And and you can always shift an aspect of the magic within the same purview. So, for example, if I wanted to make a Hellfire spell through ice, I can do that through a ritual. That's all broken out very, very clearly right there in the page, which I don't think has ever been done before. I want the player to be able to just go, you know, you're sitting around, you're getting ready to play Sorcerer, it's your fourth session. I want the player to be able to go, oh, uh, I want my character to learn a ritual today that does this, and here's right here's how I'm doing it. And it's very simple for them to put together, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't think designing a new ritual necessarily needs to be like a role play session between the storyteller and this one person while everybody else sort of sits around and plays on their phone. Sorcerers has, have always had their own kind of wonders, like in magic sorcery objects, and I always liked them because they didn't have to deal with the normal sphere system in their creation. Like if I make a wonder or something like that, I need to be able to say to my storyteller, this is the effect that it's emulating, uh, this is the route that would get me to there. Do we get any information on uh, sorceress items or, or sorceress magical items? So sorceress magical items are included. There are, uh, like, in terms of, like, overall restructuring, this was probably the heaviest lifting that had to be done. And all, all credit to Charles, who did most of that heavy lifting. But what we wanted was, ultimately, the list of artifacts that are in the back of this book are all created using the rules that are in the book. Okay. So they're created as if a sorcerer had created them. So that means that we found the path that they came from. Most time it's either enchantment or alchemy. Magic items are in the back were created using the alchemy and enchantment rules. It's all internally consistent. So that you're not hopefully scratching your head going, how did they come to this? It's laid out for you so you can see it. What kind of games do you want do you want to see people play with sorcerers? Um, as you were going through, you're a person who does actual plays, you play mage what kind of games are you pleased uh, to see that this book makes possible or that you think people should give a try i think sorcerers shine very well for personal stories i think sometimes it's very difficult to keep the scope of a mage game personal especially if not every single person at that table is invested in keeping it a personal story for the players does that make sense It's very easy for Mage to fly off into cosmic territory in a hurry. And I think Sorcerer helps keep you grounded in a way, not that it's impossible in Mage, but that that Mage doesn't. Sorcerer Mm -hmm. is grounded in a way that Mage isn't. So I think it's very cool for stories about family. I think it's very cool for stories about community. I think it's very cool for stories about underdogs. And another way I would love to see it is I am like a, so I'm, I'm about to show the gray in my beard here. 
But I'm a huge fan of Bars Magic, though. And I would love nothing more than if somebody grabbed a copy of M20, a copy of Sorcerer, and a copy of The Operative's Dossier, and ran a sort of troop-style game in which everyone drew up a mage that was a part of the Chantry, and then everyone also drew up their consors and their acolytes and their shield grugs. And we had a mage game set in the modern era that used sort of that Ars Magica structure, where you sort of have a mage that's the star of the show each session or each story and everybody else is kind of the support staff for that character because when you think about it the biggest suspension of disbelief that mage asks you to embark on is not that reality is malleable and that people can do magic it's that two people or six people who believe what they believe so strongly that they can make it real are going to put aside their differences long enough (laughs) to do anything you know, more complicated than like ordered coffee. <laughs> <You know? laughs> There's going to have to be a pretty big gun pointed at their head to do that. And as we know in Mates the Ascension, uh, you can tell the person is the bad guy in the setting if they can cooperate with other people. So, right. um, yeah, that certainly makes sense. So, so yeah, so sort of focusing on the idea that uh, you could run this this campaign where different mages get the spotlight and then the mages can be a little bit more like that I think would allow you to explore the hubris aspect a little bit more. Could explore a lot of stuff with I think Shantry politics, politics in a really interesting way in a game like that. I would love I would love to play in a game like that. Oh, so so much. Anything from that down to like I would also love it if somebody grabbed this up and the you know the technocracy reloaded jumpstart and that was their first two po- purchases and now they are playing mage. You know what I mean? They're they've come to it through sorcerer and that's one way you could do it. Two little soft cover books. <laughs> I think uh, Sorcerer's going to be hard. Yeah, back. I think it's going to be hard back. As you mentioned, though, uh, we are not going to do a book discussion on on Welcome to the Rock, which is kind of the jumpstart, but it does kind of tell you how the system works in a pretty tight little thing. You would need to be familiar with figuring out how attribute plus ability works, but uh, let's face it, when we're talking about systems in World of Darkness, figuring out attribute plus ability is not exactly the apex of difficulty that anyone's going to run into. So, uh, <laughs> so that, So that's good. Is there any case where you see that existing mage games may want to grab Sorcerer to add to their games? Do you feel that there's anything that Sorcerers are particularly good at that mages aren't, or uh, cases where they may want to engage with Sorcerer societies? As far as I'm concerned, you can never go wrong by sprinkling a little Arcanum on any World of Darkness game. They're kind of the ubiquitous, they're salt. They usually (laughs) will work. I think if you're getting into, I think the for a storyteller, the best things that you're going to mine out of Sorcerer are going to be look at those fellowships, the, the affiliations that are in there, and sort of look at what might bump against your players in fun and interesting ways. That's going to be a good thing to mine, but also antagonists. These make for great antagonists. A prepared Sorcerer, the advantage a prepared Sorcerer would have over even a prepared uh, True Mage, especially if they're squaring off somewhere that's not necessarily full of witnesses but where paradox is still a problem the prepared sorcerer is going to give that mage a run for their money and so if you need to humble your mages a couple of sorcerers with some prep time and uh vaguely intimate knowledge of their enemies could could be a, a good antagonist but also just peppering some into the game or setting up npcs that are the the, the functionaries of your group's chantry if you've got a, a mage game and they've got a chantry going shouldn't be too long before they're getting acolytes, consors. Shouldn't be too long before they're getting these sort of hangers on that uh, a Chantry sort of acquires over time. And and one of the things that I, I kind of like is it kind of suggests that there's a little bit of overlap between 
true magic and not like it makes a mention that for instance with the path of fortune that mages with primer entropy might notice it but it doesn't really go deep into that so it's one of those things where sorcerers seem like a real good way to have plausible deniability or to kind of fly under the radar if you're playing a more distant act by proxy game of of mage where you're like okay i need to do something against this other guy but it's going to be obvious um, the resonance fingerprints are going to be all over it but if i if i choose to go through uh, a sorcerer who may have a little more at the end of their effect than uh, maybe a regular mortal could uh, you now have this other avenue where if mortals are pawns these are your knights and rooks and bishops oh hell yeah yeah no i'm seeing a game right now and we'll call it like the the troublemakers yeah. and it's a group of sorcerers who are just mercenaries that do dirty work for mages that don't want to get their magic fingerprints on it. <laughs> you know? like, that would be super cool. That would be dope. <laughs> and it's interesting in how much all of these kind of side groups very much well lend themselves to monster of the week in a way that like standard mage doesn't like you can do it, but mage gets grumpy if you try to. So right. it is, it is good to know that there, there are groups that can do that. Yeah. I mean, if you piss off a sorceress order that has nine people on the planet, it's, it's, it's a different thing than, Oh, we just made the mat, you know, the leader of the local symposium mad. Yes, That's or we pissed off a Jalidian. Yes. <laughs> right. We're to affect this now everywhere we go. Yeah. Um. Are there any other thoughts that you have on M20 Sorcerer? And if anything, is there anything left for M20? As far as is there anything left for M20, that is not my question to answer. Okay. Uh, if I had an answer that I could tell you, I would. If I had an answer I couldn't tell you, I probably would tell you that I had an answer I couldn't tell you. <laughs> nice. Well, that's good to know. I just do not know what is going on at the moment. Full disclosure, part of that is because I am I am deep, deep, deep in the Trinity continuum at the moment, and my head is just not on the world of darkness right now. <laughs> Which is, I just don't know. The original Trinity First Edition was for a long time my favorite piece of science fiction media. I really, really loved it. Um, so it's nice to be able to go back and work on it. I very much look forward to some sort of urban shadows or otherwise integrated for someone to do that story path plus urban fantasy game that I think a lot of us are, are kind of craving, whether it be a 30 page thing on the Storyteller Vault on how to add complications to the sphere system or what have you. I don't know, but I, I hope that is something that we eventually get. Oh, it would be cool. I think uh, I really like the system a lot. You know, this was a lot of fun. And in a way, like I said, I was, 1997 so I'd have been 18 uh when that book came out and since then I've wanted to bring this to life I was not I don't think it's untoward for me to say I was not thrilled with Sorcerer Revised this was really a, a chance to do like I, I refer to it as kind of one of my Babe Ruth hits and I get those I'm, I'm a very lucky person I've had more than one of those in my life most people don't get more than one but I've walked up to the plate and I've pointed at where my shot was going to go and I've hit it right there a number of times more than probably is a man my age should have. And this was one of those instances where it's just the dream has come true. And I'm very just over the moon that I've gotten to do it. And I'm very glad that it is being received well so far, knock on wood. Mm -hmm. And I hope, I hope that if this is me closing the door on Mage, that it's not for too long. If that door is to close, I hope it is not for long, certainly, because uh, that would imply more mage. Um, so if people are interested in getting this, how can they do this? What is the release for it looking like? So right now, um, as of this recording, it is still an advanced PDF. And I think depending on when you get this aired up, it might be in for about another week or so. 
And that's where we collect errata. And I'm really trying to push people to fill those forms out because that really does help us catch little things like the area of Hellfire is still messed up. Pretty pleased with sugar on top. Maybe don't put that in errata because I don't need 400 copies of it. But, um, <laughs> you know, but, uh, <laughs> if you see something in the errata, say something so we can do it. Because I want to make sure this is the cleanest, best, most functional book when it gets into people's hands in print, which will be the next step. So once we get the errata phase closed, we'll, we'll do the proofing and then print on demand through DriveThruRPG. And if you do get it now, you will get a coupon for it so that if you eventually get a POD copy, it will be as if you ordered the two at the same time. Again, the link will be in the show notes. I was sad to see that it had been so quickly dethroned as the number one seller on RPG, but then I saw that it was dethroned by Tales of the Red for Cyberpunk and Adventures right. in Rokugan, which is Legend of the Five Rings for 5e, where I'm like, okay, if we're going to get dethroned, I'm right. okay with that. Like in the same way, if we are killed by a super intelligent AI, I want that AI to then go on and conquer the universe. I want to know that we lost to the best. Um, so we were dethroned by the best. So uh, I, cer- I certainly understand that. But again, links to everything will be in the show notes. Travis, are there any other projects you're working on that you would like uh, that you think may be interest to mage fans? Always would love to see more people over in the Scarredlands neck of the universe. If you have any interest at all in checking out a 5e game, a, a D&D setting that is much more grim bright i think than what, what you what you find on the market for the most part it's a lot of fun if you love heavy metal magazine you'll love it i just drop a collection of my out of season overlords pdfs and a print bundle as well complete first edition we've announced that uh, aegis studios is at work on our second edition player's guide for out of season overlords which is a retro clone that pretty much just used basic fantasy. I wanted to try out the, you know, designing in the OSR space. And then it turned into a live play that I've been running now for like three years with some people that I truly, genuinely, deeply care for. Just good friends that we've built. And so now we're, that has led to so many changes to the system just through playing it in that actual play and seeing like, how can we keep the feel of this in the OSR, but like change it up so that it's not clunky, crappy mechanics. Uh, no offense to the, the two designers who are still alive from back then. Our, we're getting ready to release our second edition of Out of Season Overlords. Uh, there'll be news on that soon. But in the meantime, you can get the full first edition right now at DriveThruRPG. Awesome. I will include links to that in the show notes. Travis, thank you so much for your time and for your work on Mage. Thank you so much for having me and for letting me talk about Sorcerer and for to your audience. Thank you all so much for the nice things you said about Sorcerer. You've been very, very, very... The Mage fans have been extremely kind about this book and it's really meant a lot to me to see so thank you this has been made to the podcast where our aspects would be um removal sound leveling and rapid response to someone pointing out that i somehow managed to mute the guest audio after about the 11 minute mark appropriately our executive producers are jay widener oracle of the aspect of mouthfeel josh hillrup oracle of the aspect of mapleiness buck gregory oracle of the aspect of liturgical choir size christopher gregory oracle of the aspect of stool consistency the crew of Erebus, Oracle of the Aspect of Grooviness, and Mikhail, Oracle of the Aspect of Drinkability. Thank you for your support. Additionally, I'd like to thank Alex, Alexia, Anders S., Andrew Edelstein, Anand, Baderfi, Berto, Blaze Hibbert, 
Boo. Boogers, 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 boogers. Bride of the Blue. Bryce Perry. Chris B. Daniel Cuppin. Daniel Scribner. Dan Svensson. David Roy. Dennis Osborne. Derek Simsek. Frager Rock. Gargle Lenoir. George Lara. Guy Cohn Stewart. Eable. Jason Kennedy. Jason Vines. Jason W. Briggs. Jeff Brin. Jenna F. John Magnuson. Jolyn Andes. Joshua Heath, Kathleen Halperin, Chris Kinner, Leslie Weatherstone, Matthew Proyle, Michael Creedle, Michael Parker, Morgan Aran, Nathan Weaver, Nibero, Neil Patterson, Nikita Klamanov, Oliver Schindler, Patrick McNamara, Patrick Mulder, Puka G, Rachel Grace, Ralph Scheinhammer, Ricardo, Richard Bat, Brewster, Robart the Robot, Rob H, Ryan Kendi, Samuel Tobin, Stephen Carton, Thrice Great, William Connolly, William Martin, and Zach Rules. Our EP shoutout is to Ryan Kendi, and Googling that, Google thought I was looking for Ryan Kennedy, who is a actor who was born and raised in Manitoba. He has credits such as Trip Hop Inferno Tormented Soul in the movie Abandon, and was Bobby in Super Hybrid. In case the title didn't tell you what that last movie was about, let me read the Wikipedia description. The screenplay follows a malicious, shape-shifting, sentient car that devours its victims by tricking them into the cab and then sent to a police precinct garage after a terrible accident where it stalks the mechanics as it tries to find a way to escape. Ryan, I hope you're doing better than a sentient car and thank you for your support. If you super liked this episode or super didn't, drop us a line at magethepodcast at gmail.com or write us at magethepodcast on Twitter. We have a hop in Discord community at discord.me slash podcast. If you like us, please give us a review on the platform of your choosing or tell a friend about us. Also go to madesthepodcast.com for show notes and all of our previous shows. Now go change reality. Bye.